You're listening to Seeking Refuge, a podcast sharing the human stories of refugees. Our guest for today is Marwa Al-Ibrahim. She sat down with us to discuss growing up in Iraq, her journey to the United States, and her life now as a mom and integration program supervisor at Refugee Services of Texas. Your host for today is me, Jackie Burnett. Just so you are aware, Marwa was joined halfway through this interview by her young daughter. There are some ambient noises, and at one point her daughter uses a phone. So we apologize for any noises or lack of clarity in the audio. Hello, Marwa. It's so nice to meet you and have you here in person speaking with me. Um, we're so excited to have you on the podcast and being able to share your story and share all about yourselves. Um, so would you just mind by starting by introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Hello, uh, Jacqueline. It's really nice meeting you virtually. Uh, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Marwa Al-Ibrahim, and I am a former refugee uh, from Iraq. I came to the United States, Texas, particularly in 2014, February, and uh, it's, been, it's been a long journey. It wasn't an easy journey, to be honest, but I am thankful that I got the opportunity to come. So many people really wish to come. And I, I have a bachelor degree of a French art. I, I completed my um, college back in Iraq and I, am, I became as like an interpreter back in, in Iraq for four years. I was interpreting for a French news agency. Then I got married and had uh, my first uh, boy. Uh, and then after two years, we finally uh, came, like after two years of having my boy, like we, we joined, uh, we came to the uh, U.S. And here in the U.S., um, you know, we started like just a new chapter. Yeah, and I know it's obviously you went through a lot and it's a difficult journey. So again, thank you so much for coming on and to share that and be able to talk about it. I guess I, you probably speak Arabic. I took a year of it. I should have started this off um, in Arabic. I only know a little bit, but I could have said like, ahalan sahlan. Oh, good. Um, so I think that's all I remember. Um, but would you mind by starting just sharing what was it like growing up in Baghdad? Um, mm-hmm. What were your favorite things to do? What do you love about it? Most people who listen to this probably have never been, um, mm-hmm. might not ever go. And so it'd be cool for you to paint a picture of what it was, things that you loved, things that you didn't growing up there. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in Baghdad and I was always there in Baghdad with my parents and my only sister. Um, I loved playing outside. It was safe, especially when I was uh, little, you know. Uh, we were always outside playing with other kids, with the neighbors, and we play hide and seek. We play with the bike. I always had my bike available whenever I go, just like around the neighborhood. Um, life was looked so easy. Life looked really much easier than what we are going through right now. <laughs> so I always wonder like how my parents managed to really keep us alive and also like <laughs> feed us all the, you know, like, and we were like also spoiled. So spoiled like in a good way. I mean, like we always had whatever we need available. Um, I, com- I completed my school in Baghdad um, and college, as I mentioned. Iraqis in general, like really love to um, enjoy their time. We love, you know, like to party. We love to get together. We love food. Uh, uh, whenever we have friends come by, you know, like my, my, my parents' friends, for example, like if they come, like we should have like something on the table. There is no way you can go to Iraqi house without feeding you. There's no way. You can't you can just refuse to be fed. Um, and we, we still do the same thing here, you know, college time, everything was fine. Everything was calm and peaceful until 2003 when, um, that was my last year in high school and, um, the collapse of the, of the previous regime. And then things has tremendously changed because, you know, uh, we lost, we lost not, not lost, but like we, we lost the safety and security. And um, um, so many like intruders came into Iraq and so many, you know, bombings started to happen. We lost friends, we lost family we, members, we lost, um, you know, like even like uh, 
friends from college because of the bombings and the killings that was happening due to sectarian reason. Like if they belong to a Sunni group, if they belong to a Shia group, if they are Christian, if they are Muslim, everyone was really attacked that time. So the image of having a safe place is, was not there anymore. But I tell you like traveling outside Iraq or leaving Iraq was definitely not an option for me. I never thought of it never put it on my mind. I was like, there's no way I can be out. So in 2000, uh, I think like uh, seven, when I graduated, I was barely able to graduate because my parents were refusing, like they do want me to go to college and continue oh, wow. because it, was, it wasn't safe. It wasn't safe. Like every time I wake up going to college, like my mom said, like, you're not going today. It's not safe. Like I, said, I just want to graduate. Let me just finish. It is my last year. Let me just let me just get things done, you know, but it was not safe. I was lucky that, you know, nothing happened to us during that time until, you know, um, I graduated and then it's time to find a job. So I was lucky to be able to find a, my job, like my previous job, which was my first job um, as interpreter in the French news agency. And I do have a bachelor degree of a French language, so it helped me, but they was they were wanting English interpreter, not a French one. <laughs> so, but I was I was fine with that. Uh, I learned a lot from this job. Um, we used to go out places, meet with people. Whenever there is a bombing, we run to the place and start to ask questions and take information. You know, it was like a, a reporter. Kind of like, but I was the friend of the reporter who always interpret everything. So I always like follow them wherever they go. I learned a lot. Um, there were, we had like really sad days if we are covering uh, an attack or, you know, killing or like whatever, you know, like the situation at that time. But I never told people where do I work because for a lot of people in Iraq, if you are interpreter, even if you are not working with um uh, U.S. Uh, companies or U.S. military, you are betraying your country. So interpreters had really bad reputation by like, we are agents, we are interpreting for them, we are selling the country and we are attacked. So I, I was just telling like, oh, like I work in a company somewhere like in one of the Baghdad neighborhoods and like, I just go there like to type stuff, you know, like typing, like entry-level job. So um, I'm sure your mom, who didn't really want you to go to college, loved when you're like, I'm actually getting a more dangerous job now. <laughs> it, it is. It was like really more dangerous, but things were a little bit, a little bit more stable than when I was during my last year of okay. college. It was a little bit more stable, but you know, like things were still going here and there. Bombings never stopped during that time. So, and then like, What's the point of staying home? I graduated, like, I want to do something, you know, like, just like the others, you know? And I got engaged, like, in 2007. And he was also interpreter. So he didn't want to, he didn't want to say, but, like, he was interpreting for um, a U.S. channel. So it was, you know, like, more dangerous to, to say that he was working with Americans. And uh, because of that, he... So, so many people like saw him going in and out uh, out of the, you know, like the green zone, we call it, uh, in Iraq, which was um, the base of, you know, like some, the U.S. embassy, mm -hmm. other embassies in, in Baghdad, and also like the Ministry of Defense and the Iraqi Ministry of Defense. So it was like a protected area. I'm sure like, you know, what is the green mm -hmm. zone? Yeah. yeah. And so um, they saw him there and like everyone, enters that zone it means they are either working with the u.s military or with the def iraqi defense or like in the embassy and everybody is bad so like they have like x on it they put they put a letter on him on his door and uh, and telling him that you are betraying the country um, you have to leave or uh, you will get killed oh. with two bullets um, so he told me about it and we started to really like try to find a place outside their neighborhood. So we moved to a um, house and we got married and everything. And we started to do the um, application to, to travel to the U.S. I was like, okay, let's do it. But then it is not going to happen. 
<laughs> you know, like, okay, yeah, we will, we will do it. We will submit our papers and we will do everything. But then something in my brain telling me it's impossible. This is not going to happen. I am not one of those who will be leaving Iraq. Mm-hmm. It took it took six years. Wow. During those six years, I was still working. He was still working. He changed places. Um, and then I become a pregnant. We got married and I became a pregnant with my boy. And we did the first interview. We did the second interview. We did the um, medical test and everything. And before, and I was still rejecting the idea of traveling to Iraq. Not like like coming to the US, but like the idea of leaving my country and yeah. leaving my you know, parents and like just be away was not really something I wanted to do. In 2012, um, the end of 2012, my father, because he was a military, he was um, for the Iraqi um, army, he was attacked by a sticky bomb. They put a sticky bomb under his car and he drove. And after like a few seconds of driving, um, it was bombed. So um, he was severely injured. He, because of the injuries he had, he, they had to cut his um, damaged uh, arm like till here. And um his left leg was severely damaged and he was not able to walk for a couple months because the nerves was also damaged. So he, even if he healed, he's not able to walk, to, to walk normally. Mm-hmm. Um, he went through like 17 surgeries and we were lucky that he is still alive. I don't know how he was able to survive, but you know, it, it was a miracle. Looking at the situation and going through all this personally, not as a story to hear it from other or not a story to hear and I interpret for my work. Change my whole idea about, is it really worth it to stay? You know, it's not worth it. My dad was on the hospital bed and he, after like they cut his arm and he said like, if they ever call you, go, don't stay. And you know, like this gives me a relief, you know, like, oh, maybe I need to change the way I look, the way it's so like the way I think. Um, but there's still like part of me saying, okay, I might give it a try, but then the denial um, phase, I was still like living there. He was healed and um, I was in my mind telling myself, it's okay. If it happened, we will travel because it's not safe. The next person could be me. The next person could be my husband. So I need to protect my family. And my my father will manage to live outside Baghdad in a better, safer place. But for us, we can't offer to live um, in another safer place. So like, let's just stay here until, you know, they call us, hopefully. And, you know, I lost hope. To be honest with you, I had to quit my job when I had the baby, my baby, and I was just like staying home. And after two years, I decided like, maybe it's time to find a job and see how it goes because, you know, no one is calling us. But uh, I was able like to find a job. They gave me a starting date and everything. And then before the starting date, which was was supposed to be like on February 16th, January 30, 2014, we received the call. So my husband was outside and he called me and he said, are you ready to travel to the U.S.? And I told him, like, no, like, don't, don't make a joke about that. And he said, no, for real. Like, are you willing and ready to go and to the U.S.? They called me. And our uh, flight is on the 19th of February. So like three days after my starting day. <laughs> so like, oh my God, really? Is it like, yeah, the feeling I had, it was, I was scared. I was happy. I was sad. I had tears falling from my eyes. And I was also like, it was like happy tears and it was sad tears. I don't know, like the feeling, the mixed feeling I had, it was, overwhelming my mom had the same feeling like she was sitting next to me and she said like oh I don't know what to say you know like 
I don't know. Especially after what happened to my dad, uh, they became um, more. And like the the structure, the way we are raised in our countries, we are like really attached to our parents. So even if we are married and we have our own family, we still go back to them with like big decision and talk to them. So um, my mom was telling me like, whatever happened, go, go, don't stay. I'm I'm happy with your decision. So like, I, she didn't want me to be affected by her feeling, even if she's sad. So. We started to sell our stuff from the apartment we had as fast as possible. We sold our uh, car uh, and then we started to pack. I informed the job that was waiting for me <laughs> that I'm traveling. And um, we came to the U.S. It was, it, was, it was the bittersweet, to be honest with you. I was ready. Like when we traveled, I was ready for the big change and I was tired of the situation in Iraq. Uh, although like I, I, I was waiting, there was like a job waiting for me, but the environment around this job, you know, what kind of challenges I am going to face. Is it a safe job? No, it wasn't a safe job. It was an embassy. So it was still not a good job, you know, like a safe job. Mm-hmm. Good paying, yes, but like not, not safe location. So I will still continue to hide um, uh, where I work. And then let alone the challenges with the childcare. And then what if bombing will happen next to a childcare and it happened several times before. So I was not even like 100% comfortable about the working decision. But then when the traveling idea came, I feel like it, it's worth it. Let's give it a try. So we traveled and my son was two years old. And it was such a long journey from Baghdad to Jordan, from Jordan to New York, from New York to Houston, from Houston to DFW, to Dallas. So with a two years old, oh my God, it was, it was. That sounds like a lot of travel time. I would have been so stressed. <laughs> I was stressed. Yeah, uh, we were like both stressed. And like, let alone that, you know, like you are going to a new place. We both spoke English, but believe me, when we entered New York, airport whatever people were telling us or like whatever they say we didn't understand because like is this even what what is it what they what they are saying you know we were like too tired and too overwhelmed that we're not able to understand the English Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we were both interpreters so like (laughs) you talk and he was telling me like you talk your English is better no yours is better so it was like you know like we are we were like in a situation that whatever we learned like it's it's just disappear i don't know what's going on we're just like looking at the place uh the airport how big it is the people it it was overwhelming in a good way to be honest um we are lucky that uh we had our um in-law family here before us so it is so 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 helpful to have a family or faces when you come to the u.s um, um they help us a lot and uh they picked up from the airport and uh you know, and the journey started after that. Wow, that is a very important story that I, I'm so glad you're able to share with us. Um, I have a couple questions just based on things you're talking about. I know when you worked at the French News Agency, you said they wanted you to translate in English. How did you go about learning English? Okay, so uh, I take my sister as my idol, and she was so good in English, like even from like school time. So um, I always see her like write and type and speak to her friends in English. So I feel like maybe I need to be like her, you know. So I started to follow her steps by watching movies and try to read and use the dictionary to know the meanings and also uh, searching for song lyrics help us a lot. It helped a lot. And, you know, like having access to internet, it really helped us with finding resources and ways and websites to um, learn more. So I was just like motivated because, you know, I, I studied French, but my the English was my effort, I would say. It was my effort. Definitely, I got better with working. Um, you know, the first month at work, it was not as good as the second month. And definitely the first year was not as good as the first year. And I met with 
I worked with um, not only French people, uh, but like different people who speak English. So some of them were American, Indians, Australian. So whenever I, let's say I say some, something um, wrong, they correct me. So this was also helpful. Fascinating. Uh, so many accents at the same time when you have I like think, French English versus Australian. I think that's why I struggle when I came to the U.S. I was not able to understand because we, I, I like most of the people I work with not American. They are like really like Europeans, but they speak English. So I think that's why I struggled with um, the American like accent in the beginning because my, you know, I have accent. But the people who I worked with also have accents. So, like, I am used to that one, not the American, like, the right one. It makes say. you feel better. I can't really understand a New York accent in general either. So <laughs> I would probably show up at the airport and be like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but now things are different because, you know, I've been working with only American. And also, like, not only American. We have so many coworkers from different parts of the world. But it helped me a lot, like, getting used to, um, like, it, my ear is used to it. So I would say. But this is how I learned and this is how I like definitely like the first day is not compared nothing with the last day I worked there. So I, I learned a lot, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And did you know that you wanted to be a translator or was that something just that it was an opportunity, a job that you applied for? Or when you went to study French, was that the goal? Uh, I studied the French because of something you call like a GPA, right? Mm-hmm okay the average so yes. the system is different um whatever you got at the high school it will lead you to the next step okay. which is the um college based on so you will get the college based on your average of okay. high school so my average was high enough but high but not high enough to take me to the english department to study english wow because so many people pass it was our year it was the 2003 year, so they were like really letting so many students pass. That's why we have a lot of people passed with really high average, and suddenly most of them want English department. So I end up with having with like um, um, the French department, which is like one uh, level lower than the English department. And I mean, like my parents said, it's okay, you can still you know improve your English while learning the new language. And then they really convinced me because I didn't want to go um, to any other uh, university. I only wanted Baghdad University. While we do have like other really good universities, but like this was like my mom's dream and has her goal. And then, yes, let, let me do it. So, and I'm glad, I'm glad that I uh, accepted that French department because um, I met, I met in, uh, new friends there and they are, we are still in touch. Till now, uh, we met each other last Christmas. Some of them are here in the U.S. And uh, it's good to have a second language. Always good to speak different languages, right? I'm still practicing here and there using some applications, but I don't really use it that much at work. Okay. Um, And you mentioned some people are here in the U.S., um, friends that you met in college. So when you were going through the process of applying and going through the interviews, did you know other people who were also trying or was this more of something that y'all were doing that a lot of people were like questioning or maybe not as supportive of? Yeah, well, um, my friends, I know some of my friends who were applying, but not from inside Iraq. Some of them were from inside Iraq and others were they left Iraq because it wasn't safe for them to stay. Uh, so they traveled to Lebanon, to Syria and uh, um, applied from there. So some friends, they told me they are applying. Others, they don't want to speak about it because first, they don't want anyone to know about it because of what if others know, and then it will be dangerous for them. So like they don't want to be attacked. Also, some people will say, oh, you're not traveling there. You don't want to be there. Who, how dare you leave your country? You know, like this is our country. And, and I do have some family members who like whenever I talk to, they always tell me like, and now what's the point of you staying outside Iraq? I, I, we, we have, we have a little bit of everything. <laughs> Are you sure you're happy? Are you sure like you made your dreams came true like over there, but like it's better for you to come back. So like it's, we have a little bit of everything, but we were doing it because we were not feeling safe. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like my husband was threatened, and then my dad. So we were like in that circle, you know, like death was approaching. You hear about bad things happening from far, but when it started to attack attack your neighbor, your friend, the people like down the street, the bombing is approaching. It is behind my house. It is in front of my house. Next time it could be me, right? I know, like death is happening for all of us but um when you know the best situation you can at least like god give us like the option to make changes and give us the brain to make decisions so we decided that this could be the best option even if i was not hoping that's going to be the the decision but i do feel this this was the right decision even if i was not happy that much about it um one more question specifically about kind of your time in iraq I know when I read your bio, it said that you were Shia growing up in a Sunni neighborhood, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. What was that like? And for our listeners who might be confused on what exactly that means and the significance of it, could you explain a little more? Back like before 2003, it was normal. Uh, nobody really asked about it. Nobody cares. And, um, but after 2003 and what the new governments brought, not the people, as the government who brought all these like changes because the new government and the old government, they are like Sunni Shia differences. So now Shia are more dominating in the country as a government. So those differences started to appear because the government is imposing it. And my husband and I are like from different sects. So we don't really care about it. But when we grew, like when, when after 2003 and we started to have our own, you know, like place, we had to care for this because safety comes first and so so what happened what happened is like we started to really care about where to live because people started to ask they want to know who group who group you belong to which which ethnicity you belong to so it started to get scary yes so like after 2003 um especially with the like bombings and attacks and people get attacked like Sunni people get attacked in a Shia neighborhood and the opposite. So, you know, like we started to see, oh, we have to be careful with where we live. We have to be careful with where we meet and where we go out because it started to affect us. So yeah, it started to get scary after 2003. Wow. Um, So now transitioning. So you obviously came into Texas. What was it? And you said that you had some like family here to support you. um, But what kind of was it like the emotions getting settled, finding a job? How all did that go? Yes, I was not able to find a job immediately, definitely, because the, I, I learned that the, the child care expenses were really high. So oh, yeah. <laughs> now I am experienced it. <laughs> so uh, and then, you know, like we were like really scared of the idea. Like I need to, to know like what's going on in, in each place before I actually go and put my son in a daycare. So I wasn't ready. So that's why I didn't work at the beginning, but my husband was able to work. And the case manager at that time um, through the resettlement agency that uh, provided services for us, helped him to find a job. So when we arrived, there was an apartment ready for us. It was furnished with the basic needs. And definitely my parents-in-law who, who were like here before us, they also provided some of the stuff we needed. Um, they taught us, uh, the agency also like, uh, helped us learn about the bus route and how to use that. They also provided us with some cash assistance and some information about, you know, health benefits and SNAP benefit and all of that basic things that we now are doing for our clients. Um, I didn't know how to drive, so I didn't have a car and bus was the only transportation <laughs> method that is available. And if you've never been in Texas, bus is not a fun thing to do because it took long time. It takes long time. It's like um, the bus comes like every, I think every hour, not every like 10 minutes or something or 15 minutes. So it's a lot, a lot of waiting time, but you know. Whenever I had the courage to go out, I take my son on the stroller and try to discover the places, explore, you know, uh, the neighborhood around me and try to figure out like what is here, what's there, just, you know, spending time. 
after that, I saw myself involved in the community. I started to meet people. So um, uh, people started to ask me like, if I know how to read this mail, if I know how to interpret for them. And whenever I am outside, um, you know, like other case managers from other agencies, they know that I speak the language. So they, they asked me to help with interpretation. So suddenly I became become like a, a, a helpful volunteer, a volunteer to interpret for other agencies. And I learned about RST, where I work right now. And, uh, you know, I try like to get more information from them. So um, one of the case manager who always like used to tell me about it, she told me that I can become um, um, interpreter, like a certified interpreter. So I looked for the options and I, I registered and I took the training and became certified interpreter. And this is how I started like my journey as interpreter in the U.S. and in the Fort Worth area, basically. But then RST um, uh, were having an opportunity like, uh, for me. So I applied and I started working there as um, employment case manager, part-time employment case manager. Before joining RST, I didn't have a car. So every time I go to my interpretation appointment through the interpretation company that helped me to, you know, be a contract interpreter with them, uh, I used to go to my appointments by um, bus. And if the appointment is for like three hours, you know, I need two hours uh, to to go yeah. <laughs> and two hours to come back and two hours to come back. So it was, it was a quite challenging, but I was having fun uh, because for the last two years before I come to the U.S., I was always home. I, the only place I go to is like either to visit a friend or maybe to visit my parents and always someone with me, like my husband or my father come to pick me up. It wasn't safe. And I didn't feel comfortable like walking in the neighborhood or like taking a taxi by myself. So for me, going places by myself in the U.S. feel more free was a, a new privilege that I was enjoying. People then later told me, do you still feel safe to go on the bus? <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> because whatever, whatever safe, uh, that whatever I was seeing when I first came to the U.S., it was safe for me. You know, like comparing to the safety I <laughs> not unsafety I was experiencing back home <laughs> so yeah. it was different but I I'm glad that I uh, experienced it yeah actually one of those one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was what it has been like being in the south for at this point it's been what almost 10 years like nine years or something like that yeah nine years. Um, and our, so our last season we really focused on the southern United States and how there are a lot of opinions about it, that it's a very unwelcoming place, that it's very prejudiced. Um, and we talked to a lot of people who had various opinions on that. What has your kind of experience been? Have you found a lot of helpful individuals? Was it, did it seem hostile to you? Has that changed? I'd love to just hear your opinion of how it's been being in Texas. You know, the first day we are, not the very first day, but like the second day when we arrived to the U.S., my uh, sister-in-law took us to Walmart to buy some stuff and then Everybody was just like smiling, you know, like people try like to smile to each other when you pass by them or like say hello. And uh, my husband told me that the, the, it seems like like people know we are here, like we are new here. And that's, <laughs> that's why like everybody's saying hi to us. Everybody was welcomed, you know. I lived in a housing complex, mostly for refugees. So there were like so many people, like community members, like not Iraqis or refugees, American who are involved in this community. They come and visit, they uh, bring toys to the kids, they try to talk to other people. I started a new friendship from there. I saw a lot of like really nice people. I met with a lot of, I made a lot of a friendship and still, they are like still my friends till now. We um, did, you know, ESL classes together. We did a free exercise for women together. We prayed together. We did a lot of potlucks. Uh, they visited me a lot of time when I am in a good situation, when I am in a bad health situation. They're always supporting. Um, 
it was it was nice it was it was a good experience um i felt welcome i felt supported i saw people are eager to learn about our culture to eager to learn about us to our story because they don't know who are refugees and this is the main problem we have here like not everyone know who are the refugees if they are legal or not what their story why they are here and then the fact that we came here because that's the only option for us available not because we wanted to leave our countries but because we saw that it is better and it's safe for our family and our kids to be here i have i have a positive uh experience with the us you know i'm blessed it's my second country right and it is here where i was able to grow and my career you know become way better than my past experience i had my us baby here <laughs> american born and you know like i learned how to drive here i had my first car here you know we we had our house here so it it's different i don't tell you you know like it is like um a dream no so many ups and downs right so many uh bad days happened and like so many um uh definitely like we felt lonely i felt lonely several times even if i have you know family members or friends here i do miss home i do miss my parents i do miss my sister i feel so bad that like my kids are growing up and they only get the chance to see my parents like once every four, four years so there is two sides of the story but if you want me to talk about the good part yes we felt so welcomed and uh it was a good experience and i feel like we we should be thankful because we are safe here our kids are safe here you know um we you know there is a law imposed and everybody should respect the law if they don't do that then there will be like um consequences for that and our rights are protected um you know um i am working uh, i can definitely you know grow here and you know improve my skills continue education you know like nothing will really stop me but but for those who have like bad experience i feel i just like hope they will maybe think differently about it uh, at least they are safe mm-hmm. you know safety comes first Yeah, I'm so glad that you had a decently positive experience obviously with a lot of hardships in between um but it makes me happy that you were really welcomed by the community there um and that you were able to kind of make friends and try to like reestablish your life here in the United States and and have an American baby and and things like that. Um and just because you mentioned it I wanted to point out something that I get really frustrated that I can't even imagine how much it must frustrate someone like you is when people don't really understand exactly what a refugee is or like that you it wasn't like oh i just want to come to the united states because it seems fun and i want to like take jobs or whatever people like the rhetoric people use um that it's for a lot of people the only option but it's not that you should have to justify yourself to a lot of people and that shouldn't have to be something like oh i'm supposed to be here because i have refugee status and i went through this like i hate that a lot of times people who have been refugees have to like share their trauma in order to justify their purpose being in the United States. So hopefully as more and more people get educated that gets to be something that happens less and less. Um but I do want to talk about your kids and having establishing kind of a sense of family in the United States. What has it been like raising them and how have you kind of maintained ties with your family back in Iraq? Has that been super hard? Um what has it been like? Have you really been able to see them or not much? Mhm. Yeah, well here comes to the, you know, challenging part right we are raising our kids in a way that based on our culture right but our kids are also like seeing the world outside the house and learning about different cultures so the struggle with this situation is really real because um you know like the kids are learning a lot in one time they are being exposed to so many cultures so many ideas and opinions in one time and it is it is just too much if you think about it you know like the my child come and tell me like this 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 has happened to school and then the kids do this and i tell him it doesn't have to be something wrong 
Okay, so, uh, but I tell him like, but we do this because this is our culture culture, and then we have to follow and I want you to be like, to maintain the culture and keep it that way. And it's like, but why? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it, is, it is too much for them. So it is us who are struggling to uh, try to make our kids love the culture, our culture and keep it. But also we try like not to impose it in a way that we're only allowed to do this because we are Iraqis, mm-hmm. you know. So we have also to let ourselves be a little bit flexible for them not to hate what is what we are imposing mm-hmm. on them. So, uh, but the good thing is we have met um, different people from different cultures who are having the same challenge. So we're not by ourselves. So <laughs> other people have the same, <laughs> the same thing. We keep in touch with our with my family uh, and even like my husband's family uh, back home by making phone calls, a lot of phone calls, daily phone calls sometimes with my parents. And on the weekend, whenever the kids are home, we talk to them and they video calls and messages and videos uh, just for them to stay, remember them and know them. Uh, I got the chance to visit my parents this summer. So I was after four years. Uh, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a blessing. They, it was the first time they see my baby. It was also like a long time since I saw them. So um, I, I go there like every, you know, um, couple years, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, but it depends really on the situation. And we don't have to meet like in Baghdad. We can meet like somewhere else, like maybe in Turkey or maybe, you know, uh, in the north part of Iraq, which is uh, more safer. Than the other places and of uh, of Iraq, uh, but this is how we keep in touch. But you know, it is. Uh, I, I miss them. You know, I miss them. I wish if they live close by. Like whenever we have a um, meal, I can just let them come and join me, my parents especially, or maybe if they need me, I can be there and support them. Uh, if I need emergency childcare, I can just like, drop my kids and go. Uh, but I don't see this here because, you know, like people around me are really busy and they, they already have to find ways for their kids. <laughs> so so it, it's like those kind of things who makes me sad, you know, like celebrating my kid's birthday, my parents and my sister is not there, you know, uh, kids are learning new words or like when she started walking or like anything, you know, like celebrating her milestones. My parents didn't really get the chance to see this with my first and now my second. So it makes me sad. But I know my kids are safer here. I know my kids will have better opportunities. And they are, you know, like learning so many things. Her her daycare is amazing. And like she's learning so many things. I feel safe when I drop her because I know that there will be like no bombings around. Uh, you know, it is just a um, better environment, I would say. But, you know, I grew up in Iraq, so I will always, there's always something, you know, uh, inside me will miss, like, being there and, like, the culture and how I learned. I definitely want to start to, to continue, try to teach my kids about my culture, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Do y'all speak Arabic at home? Or are they growing up? trilingual they know french too yeah well not not the french because i am barely keeping what i learned from college but uh yeah we speak arabic at home and my uh, son also learning arabic and i try to speak with her in arabic but you know she spends eight hours in the daycare so i'm trying my best um yeah i'm trying my best that'll be such a wonderful skill for them to have though um because i know I'm trying to learn Spanish. I took a year of Arabic and just having another language. And I think that's a way they can also um, like remain connected kind of to to culture and history and stuff. Um, And I notice, yeah, like whenever like we go for a visit in Iraq, we come back, my son's Arabic is way better because (laughs) he had to practice it. And people there like tell him like, no, speak with us in English. So we practice English. I'm like, no. (laughs) <laughs> you can learn some like with someone else like I want him just to learn Arabic you know <laughs> I so. totally understand that when I um I'm a student so I studied abroad in Mexico trying to learn my Spanish and everyone's like we want to speak English and I'm like no but I want to improve my Spanish so I get that um and I have a few more questions about the refugee services of Texas RST um and I know that 
you are currently a caseworker there. Is that correct? I am employment program supervisor. Okay. I am integration program supervisor, and I do supervise the employment and education program. Okay. And what kind of daily tasks do you have? What does that look like? Um, and kind of just broadly, what do you think, what do you want like our listeners to know about Refugee Services of Texas, RST, and all that they do for for people who are refugees? Yeah, my task in general, I do focus on my teams and make sure that they are well-trained and they know what to do uh, for their clients, how to serve them, how to interact with them, and definitely provide them with the resources they need. I give them training. I follow. We have a big team. I'm lucky that I have a big team from different cultures and different languages they speak. Um, so, um, and then, you know, um, answer their question about the programs and definitely, you know, follow up with them on the administrative part of the work, you know, with papers and documentation and all of these things. But also we focus on providing quality services for our clients. Uh, we want to make sure that we help the clients, you know, get over their barriers help them, you know, find jobs, uh, be self-sufficient, attend our ESL classes, uh, provide them with the resources they need after they graduate from the education program. We follow with the clients as well uh, for those who are working like for 90 days after they get the job. And then after that, we can close their case. But the good thing is our, you know, services is available for five years for each client starting from the day of their arrival. So we are always busy in employment and education because the clients will always need jobs and ESL classes. Um, but um, did I answer your first question? Yeah, no, that yes. got it. Okay. What um, was your second question? That was, it was more about just what does Refugee Services of Texas do? And we do a lot. Okay. We, I, I only talked about education and employment. We have a resettlement program that uh, resettlement and placement program who uh, receive ref- the refugees starting um, during their first 90 days in the U.S. So they help them with the airport pickup, apartment setup, um, apply for social security, school, uh, enrollment for the kids, SNAP application, Medicaid application, and all these like basic um, services they need during their 90 days. And then they will refer them to the other program like education, cash assistance, and uh, employment. But, um, you know, we have also other programs for intensive case management, our preferred community, and they provide intensive case management for the clients who are dealing with trauma, for the one who needs extra counseling, or maybe they have um, sickness or need more attention. And bless you. And um, we also have a legal um, departments uh, available right now for our Afghans to help them with their um, status and applying for EADs, the work permits, or, you know, their status, like, uh, you know, because with the Afghan parolees, it's a little bit different. So they have mm-hmm. to renew their status or like apply for uh, TPS until they get their green cards. So we've been growing. Um, We do have a um, community engagement uh, uh, team who also help us with collecting donations uh, and mentors and volunteers. So we always need volunteers. Um, It's it's a blessing to have community help. Um, Mentors as well, uh, because, you know, mentors will be like friends to our uh, families, especially for those who don't have family members here. So imagine someone who is able to come to you, maybe practice some English, help the kids with the homework. It's really nice to have this support. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, one of the things that I want to highlight that Refugee Services of Texas is doing is they just published a cookbook called Plated mm-hmm. Stories um, that we will put links to in our episode description. Um, and I know that you contributed to it. So if you wouldn't mind, if you know, explaining kind of the goal of it and then what dish you contributed. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, like it was a great experience because um, what what brings people together? Food, right? Like if you go to a place and then you don't know to speak their language, but at least like you can sit together and like try their food. So um, uh, the idea of the book was definitely to um, first educate you know, other uh, community members about who are refugees and the stories behind every 
refugee and because we want to separate the word about um, like the refugee in general uh, this book was made um, to and since a lot of like uh, community members are interested to learn uh, to interested in food and everybody loves food uh, that this is like the idea came you know like we are going to put different um, it was not my idea by the way so I am only part of it uh, so uh, the idea was really created um, um, by um, one of our former um, staff members and um, it was amazing because she was able like to get together like all the um recipes and every recipe has a story and it has different flavor and every person came to the U.S. because different reason and this is how the challenges they face so and at the end you are going to sit and have a meal with them and you will experience the you will test the flavors and you will learn how the techniques of this uh, you know recipe and what what comes behind it and uh, it was it was such a, a good uh, experience because i got the chance to uh, speak about uh, how food you know means uh, if you think about it emotionally because you know especially the turnip soup Every time I cook it or like it is winter time, it's cold day. I remember like my mom always make it. So this really brings a lot of memories. And whenever you think about gatherings, especially like for Middle Eastern people, maybe for Afghans, the same thing. Everything is, you know, like everyone get together around full, like a, a full table full of food. And then they laugh and they cry and they talk and, you know, make memories together. So um, I think like this is like one of the things in common among like several cultures and they put it in the book. Um, so uh, it, it was it was great. I was happy to be able to make the recipe and share it and talk about how this remind me of my mom and her love and her, you know, being there at home when I get back from school. Uh, you know, I'm. Um, I hope that the kids, will, my kids will see the same thing about me <laughs> when, when they grow up. But, you know, uh, I through this book, I wanted to tell other people who are reading this, you know, like we have so many things in common. I may not look like you. I might not have the same language. Uh, I grew up somewhere else. But at the end, we do have, we are a human and we feel the same and we experience the same different things, but we have the same emotion about it. So I, you know, I grew up with a family and just like you, I had good memories about my parents, just like you. I love this food because, you know, it reminds me of something just like you. So it is, it is so many things in common, but like coming to the U.S. doesn't make me different. It just makes me, you know, like uh, taking like different path, I would say. Uh, and, you know, I hope people will uh, get the chance to, um, try the recipes they are like really amazing recipes there and you know every person brought like a different story and uh, you, you I was like telling my story and I was like reading uh, reading it afterward you know it's like wow it's it's it, I can't imagine like eight years you know pass or nine years has passed but then I read a different story from a different person participating in the book and then I said, like, no, like, I, I, I know now how they would feel if, if, you know, like, if I were there, you know, I, I definitely understand this, the, the, the scary moments, the hard time, the challenges they went through, definitely not as they experienced it, but at least, like, I, I have idea of how it may look like being in a dangerous situation, trying to escape. Um, so I hope this will bring not the same emotion, but like bring the same information to the readers. And hopefully this will help people understand more about refugees uh, and why we are here, you know? Yeah, it's such a cool project. And just hearing you talk about your mom's turnip soup, I live away from my family because I'm in college. And I just like, now I want to go back and have like my mom's, like have her home cooking. Um, yeah. So you definitely have just, by talking to me, like conveyed that sense of family and just the project in general. Hopefully people buy this book and not only do they become more cultural aware when they cook these recipes and read the stories, but 
if they invite people in and have a huge community gathering, it can really bring people together. So that's, it's super cool. Um, to all of our listeners, I highly recommend you check it out, make one of the recipes, buy it, um, support RST. We'll definitely include all of the links. Um, my last question is, is kind of just, well, second to last, um, what are your goals for the future? Where do you see yourself? Are you guys planning to stay with our, or are you planning to stay with RST and stay in Texas? Um, or, or what's up next kind of for you? You know, since my first job was working for people as a reporter, you know, I really can't see myself doing something else. So I do want to continue serving people and do services for them and for the community. I have no plan to uh, go somewhere else. So I am just hoping that I will grow inside uh, RST. Maybe, you know, I, I do wish that I will get the chance one day to continue my master's. Uh, probably in maybe social work or maybe um, business like management or something like that uh, for NG, like for nonprofit organizations. But like, I'm, I don't think I am able to do this right now with my little one. <laughs> Fair <laughs> maybe, enough. <laughs> so maybe like in, the, in the future, maybe in the next um, like five years, I would say. But um, I just wish that RST will continue. Uh, to grow and I will be more than happy to continue working there because I love the family environment we have. We don't only have support for um, our clients, but we also have a great support for our team members and we as supervisors, um, you know, also getting the support we need from our supervisors. So uh, I will definitely continue working and serving our client and the organization and I will try my best to grow inside RSD. Yeah, that's such a great goal. And I, I love how much you want to give back um, kind of to the community and to the people that you're serving. My actual last question and one that I always love asking is just, is there anything else you want to talk about? You have a, kind of this platform here. We have a lot of listeners. So is there anything you want them to be aware of, to know, or just anything you want to share? You don't have to share anything. But. Yeah, well, I always like with my meetings, such like I always try to let um, tell the community that you know refugees are just like normal people they are legal they are authorized to work and they are really eager to work and become self-sufficient most of the clients i worked with and my team now is work are working with uh, they are uh, self-sufficient uh, trying to learn english uh, they get their first car and they managed to go to their job and remove the language barrier by attending ESL. They removed the transportation barrier by getting cars or maybe doing carpoolings. They are homeowners after a couple of years, of course. They are taxpayers and they are really, really follow the rules. And they don't want to do any mistakes because they understand that it's great to have rules and to follow up, uh, follow the rules because, you know, they don't want to be in troubles or anything. So let's give yourself a chance to meet a refugee, learn about, about their culture, maybe become a friend with them, maybe help them with providing some information, maybe help with homework for their kids, especially for those who have language barrier. And it will be such a blessing. It will be a rewarding job. Um, and then you will learn that you will change your mind about the like, who are refugees, but they are legal, they are work hard workers. And it was, it was such a blessing to be able to work in this, you know, field because um, every time, you know, like I put a client in a job, it, it really makes me feel so good. And then at the end of, you know, their um, time, they will like become self-sufficient and they will tell me like, uh, you know, we are getting our first check. So they want to work. They just want to be safe and yeah. they just want to work and be safe. And this is wh why they are here. Not, not any other reason. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for everyone, try to buy the book and <laughs> get the recipes and eat it with their friends and maybe uh, get a refugee tested and see maybe if it brings the authentic flavor. <laughs> People can use not only like listening to this podcast, but stuff that you've said about refugee services of texas like if there's anyone who's listening who isn't yet trying to volunteer with a resettlement organization i highly recommend it i've done some yes. in charlotte um and it really is it's helpful for you doing the volunteering and it's so helpful for the people that you're actually helping 
Um, and everyone buy the book, cook it with people. Um, I'm probably going to go and get my podcast team and we'll go cook something. Um, so I'm very excited. But thank you so much for talking to me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and on behalf of my team and everyone, we're so grateful that you came just to talk to us and to share everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And it was really nice meeting you. And uh, all the best for you. You know, uh, this is such a great opportunity that you are giving to me. And definitely people will, um, you know, other people like me will be definitely happy participating and sharing their story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, of course. That was Marwa talking about what it is like to create community in a new place while keeping your connections with an old one. Her journey to the United States and one of her favorite dishes, makluba. If you want to cook makluba yourself or support Refugee Services of Texas, please visit www.rstx.org slash make-and-impact slash plated-stories. You can also visit the Instagram of Refugee Services of Texas and click the link in their bio to purchase the cookbook. Their Instagram account is at Refugee Services of Texas. If you liked this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or at our University of South Carolina email address, sosrpa at mailbox.sc.edu. You can find us on social media at Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This show is produced by undergraduate students at the University of South Carolina. Your host for this week was Jackie Burnett. This episode was edited by Isha Hegday and produced by Victoria Halsey. Our executive producers are Jackie Burnett and Isha Hegday. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.